You're listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. So who's, who's the champion? <laughs> oh, you're the champion. Yeah, but you're way back. Yeah, no, yeah. In your region, maybe, yes. <laughs> Well, good to see everyone. My name is David, one of the pastors here, and uh, we are doing a series in the book of Acts, and so we have our scripture reading this morning. And there you go. Actually, let's rise together as, as we read the scripture. Acts chapter 19, from verse 21. Afterwards, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way it began. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the great Greek godness. Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with other employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard this man, Paul, as he pursued many People that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect in our business, but I'm also concerned that the temple in the great of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and around the world will be robbed of her great prestige after this, yeah, good. At this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, Great is Artemis the Ephesians, Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, uh, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. 
Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an, an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges, and if there are complaints about other matters, they, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I am afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them and they dispersed. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. I mean, there's a lot of really hard words in this passage. Yeah, really good job. Well, welcome this morning. Uh, my name is David, and we're so glad that you're here on this Family Day weekend. Uh, if you're new here, a special welcome. We're glad that you're with us, and we'd like to invite you after the service for, it's kind of like early Shrove Tuesday, Shrove Pan Sunday, uh, Pancake Sunday. And so we'll have some pancakes available after the service. And some of you are so excited, so just remember, just start with two. It's not IHOP, uh, but start, start with two and uh, go, go from there. And, and the other thing is just to point out, um, as uh, Nathan did on the announcements, that this Wednesday we're, gonna, we're actually going to do an Ash Wednesday service, which uh, begins the season of Lent, which is a preparation time to meditate upon the greatest event in human history, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're having a service uh, this Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock in the sanctuary. So it uh, be great to, to see you out there. But we're uh, walking through the book of Acts. And we're almost done, actually. Uh, this is Acts 19. And if you've been following along in the series, you'll know that, uh, that when, when you follow Jesus, things do not always go well. That's one of the themes in the book of Acts. In fact, it's a fulfillment of what Jesus um, promised his followers. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And sometimes when we align our lives to Jesus, we want to walk with him. Um, sometimes it's great. People are like, this, this Jesus seems amazing. Other people are not as excited. And there's pushback. And in the book of Acts, we see this again and again. For some people... The truth of Jesus is the aroma of life, and for some it's the aroma of death. And just so you know, I've been on both sides of this. 
Uh, for much of my life, when people talked to me about Jesus, it was the aroma of death. I had no interest at all in what they had to say. And I had no time for Christians. Uh, but then, thanks be to God, it became the aroma of life. And so this is what shows up in this passage. Uh, in this passage, we're going to see the effects that the Christian message has upon all of society. People are drawn to Jesus, but as a result, there is a fair amount of opposition. And at the center of the opposition, at the center of the pushback, is a fellow whose name is, and if you're doing your crosswords, young people, or old people, you can do crosswords too, uh, the center is a guy named Demetrius. That's a key word. Demetrius. Now, what do we know about Demetrius? We know that he was the president of a union, of a guild of silversmiths. Um, back in the first century, uh, guilds or unions were associated with various crafts, uh, various skills, and they were quite common. And usually they were associated with a patron god or goddess. Anyhow, here's a fellow named Demetrius. Apparently, he owns a factory. And this factory seems to be doing quite well. And what does this factory produce? It produces little silver figurines of this goddess whose name is Artemis. People would buy these uh, figurines um, and bring them as an offering to a uh, temple in Ephesus. So who is this Artemis that the passage refers to? Who is the Artemis of uh, Ephesus? Well, Artemis is the name of a goddess. Uh, and she was, at least in Ephesus, what we would call a fertility goddess. Associated with birth, life, death, crops, harvest, and other things that we can't mention on a family day weekend. Um, so, why does Artemis matter so much? Well, apparently... She was the dominant figure in the city of Ephesus. She was, the, she was the key figure. In fact, in Ephesus, one of the key places that people would come from, from miles around just to see was the temple of Artemis. And this temple was so amazing, it was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. And apparently it had uh, all sorts of amazing art inside the temple. It had 127 pillars, each pillar 60 feet high. It was quite amazing. And every year there was the Artemis Festival. It's like Oktoberfest, but different. Um, it's the Artemis Festival. Actually, not that different. Uh, <laughs> I grew up near Waterloo, so I, I knew that, yeah. Um, so at this festival, there's a sporting and musical competition. Uh, people would carry this decorated statue of Artemis through the town, through, through Ephesus. And the festival was often associated with, well, less than wholesome activities. But for our purposes here, one of the things you would do if you went to Ephesus, if you're traveling and you come to Ephesus, it's like going to Disneyland, going to Disney World, you have to buy Mickey Mouse ears, right? Here you'd have to buy a little Artemis shrine, a little Artemis figure, and you would take it into the temple, and uh, you know, it was like flipping a coin into a pond. You'd, you know, you'd, you'd give the, uh, the uh, silver figurine to the temple. Anyhow, back to the story. You have this guy named Demetrius, and he's a manager of an Artemis-making factory, and he is not happy. Now, why is he not happy? Well, apparently, Paul, an early follower of Jesus, 
Paul's teaching about Jesus was becoming bad for business. And the reality was that throughout Ephesus and the surrounding area, worshipers of Artemis were turning away from idol worship and turning towards Jesus. But that's a problem if you're in the idol-making business because no idols, no money. And so sales are way down and something needs to be done about it. And so what does Demetrius do? Well, he gathers his union buddies and says, hey, this guy, Paul, he's, he's ruining business for us. People aren't buying our silver figurines. Now, Demetrius, he's no dummy, right? And he knows he can only get so far by appealing to money. Like, the, the whole crowd's not going to say, oh, you know, you poor silversmiths, you're out of money. So, about halfway through his speech, Demetrius, he shifts tact. And he says, yes, not only is our business down, okay, that's a, but it's more than just about our business. It's about our identity as Ephesians. This guy, Paul, by teaching people about Jesus, is not only undermining our livelihood, but he is undermining our goddess, Artemis. And Ephesians, Ephesus is about Artemis, it's not about Jesus. And so how dare this Paul besmirch our good goddess's name? Now, the crowd, they get into this. They like this. It resonates with them. Why? Well, because they knew that the, the economic threat was, was a lot wider than they, than, than they thought. Because of, the fact is, is that if, if everybody stops worshiping Artemis, if everybody starts following Jesus, then that's going to affect tourism. Because people would come from all over the place just to see the temple of Artemis in Ephesus. And so the entire, you know, hotels, restaurants, everything was based on people coming and worshiping at the temple of Artemis. And so people saw, yeah, there is actually a huge economic impact here. And Paul's teaching about Jesus was affecting everything. And Demetrius wanted to do whatever he could to stop them. Now, it's interesting. This is not the only time in history that following Jesus has economic effects on, on entire areas. In the second century, there's a fellow named Pliny the Younger, and he was a governor. He was a governor of a province of Bithynia. And we know um, Pliny the Younger, he wrote a number of letters to uh, the emperor at the time, a guy named Trajan. And we have a number of his letters. And in one of his letters, it's interesting, um, Pliny is, is describing a situation in his province. And he says, a bunch of butchers have come to me complaining. And they're complaining that nobody is buying meat anymore. And they were buying meat. The meat was specific, specifically used for um, um, pagan worship, for sacrifice, pagan sacrifice. And so Pliny points out that because of the growth of the number of Christians in his province, the butcher guild has complained to him, complained to him, saying that nobody's buying meat anymore. Now, we don't quite know what happens. Well, I have an idea what happens. Uh, then Pliny is basically trying to impress the, the emperor. He says, but don't worry, dear emperor. I dealt with things. And business, uh, people are buying meat again. So basically... He got rid of a lot of Christians. But it's an interesting story. 
that this takes place in the second century. Or, yeah, in the second century. And we even know that in the early 20th century, in 1904, there was a revival that took place in the country of Wales. And there was led by this young fellow named Evan Roberts, who is a, a coal miner. And it was a huge revival. But some of the people were not happy about this revival. And the people who were not happy about the revival were the people who owned pubs. Because nobody was coming to the taverns. And a lot of the taverns were having to shut down. And I thought about this this week. I thought, can you imagine? Can you imagine reading in the Tri-City News? Not that anybody reads it. I shouldn't say that. Sometimes we read the Tri-City News. Can you imagine reading an article and it says, you know, Coquitlam Casino having to shut its doors because masses of people coming to worship Jesus rather than sitting at the blackjack table. Can you imagine what that would be like? But there's more going on here with this mob being formed. The people are upset, but why are they so upset? Well, it's not just about economics. There's something else going on. This whole turning towards Jesus, people saw that as a threat, not just to their pocketbooks, but they saw it as a threat to their identity. Why? Because the city was known for Artemis worship. To be an Ephesian was to be a worshiper of Artemis. And to reject Artemis was to reject being part of society. And so a lot of people are upset of the Christians because they're like, you are undermining our very identity. And they would say things like, these Christians, we can't trust them. Because what if our city comes under attack and we have to defend our city? Can we trust these Christians? I don't think so. And so a lot of the Christians were, 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 were called a number of different things. You know, one of the things they were called, they were called haters of humanity. Isn't that interesting? They were called haters of humanity. And do you know what else they were accused of? They were accused, the early church, they were accused of being atheists. Isn't that interesting? Well, they were atheists in the sense that they did not worship the civic gods, the official gods of the land. And so they were called atheists. Now, what happens? Well, you see, Demetrius, again, he's no dummy. He knows all this as a background. So what does he say? He says, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically in the whole province of Asia. He says that the gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There's a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but our temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. And so his point is this. You criticize Artemis, you criticize Ephesus, you criticize Ephesus, you're criticizing us and our way of life. And so Demetrius, he's quite effective, and a crowd, a mob, gets riled up. And we read in verse 28, uh, this mob gathers together and they start chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the whole city ends up in an uproar and the protesters hit the street. And we think there's about 25,000 people because they descend upon the amphitheater, which holds about 25,000 people. And I love Luke's comment, who's writing the book of Acts. <laughs> he says, there's such a big crowd. They're all demonstrating. Though a lot of the crowd had no idea why they were there. 
Unlike today when we see mobs, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> now, some of the people in the crowd, they recognized two of Paul's companions, a guy named Gaius and a guy named Aristarchus. And they grabbed them and they dragged them into the theater. Now, while all this is going on, okay, whatever you think about Paul, you have to admit Paul's got moxie. He's got, he's got courage. Because Paul, he hears about this and Paul says, let me go speak to everybody. And people are like, uh, Paul, <laughs> this mob, this angry mob, they're angry at you. <laughs> and Paul's like, hey, big crowd. I can tell them about Jesus. And they're like, no, Paul. And even some of the city officials are like, uh, no, Paul, don't go, right? And then you read that there were some representatives of the Jewish community. And they wanted to stand up. And one guy stands up. And he, what does he want to do? He wants to emphasize, hey, these Christians, this Jesus, they're not, part, they're not with us. They're not with us. Now, this is interesting. It's a little historical geeky thing, but in the first and second century, because if you were Jewish, you actually had a lot of freedom within the Roman Empire to worship uh, Yahweh, to have your own practices, your own temple. You had a lot of freedom. And so the early church actually was seen as being a Jewish sect and, and actually rode the coattails a little bit of this freedom. But here you have a guy standing up and says, hey, these Christians, just so you know, not with us. And the crowd's listening, and they're like, yeah, but you're Jewish. You don't believe in Artemis either. Hey! And they shut him down. They go, you know, greatest Artemis of, 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 of Ephesus. Uh, and, they, and, they, and they cry out for two hours, stopping them from speaking. And I know, I know it's hard for us in our day and age to imagine a mob shutting down rational discourse. Um, but in the olden days, it happened. Yes, yeah. Now, finally, and I don't know if I, this is my imagination working out, but finally a city clerk stands up. And I just imagine a city clerk with his, you know, pocket protector and a bow tie and, you know, a little pencil in there. And, and he stands up and he speaks to the crowd <laughs> and he lays it out. He, you know, he says, uh, uh, fellow Ephesians, don't you know that, uh, you know, city of Ephesus is a guardian temple of the great Artemis. So he's like, you know, don't worry about this, guys. These guys have done nothing wrong. Artemis is still okay. And if you have any complaints, there are proper channels for you to go through. And if you do that properly, you can, you, be, you know, register your complaint. But the weird part is, it works. The whole crowd disperses. And I was thinking about this passage. I said, okay, so what, what do we walk away with from this passage? It's kind of a fun passage. Well, a couple things. One is this. Following Jesus is costly. When you and I align our lives to Jesus Christ, there's a cost. There's a social cost. It affects your friendships. It'll affect your family relationships. When I, as I said earlier, when I was... Uh, when I was younger, I was not a Christian. I had no time for Christians. I hated Christians. I was a Marxist back in the day. And I had no time for Christians. And when I was living overseas, I had two buddies of mine. And I said, you know, Christians are dumb. They're like, yeah? I said, yeah. And so the three of us, we'd always go around and say how dumb Christians are. We hated Christians. And then one day I had to tell my friends, I said, um, I got something I want to tell you. And they're like, what? I said, you know those... Uh, you know, those Christians that we were mocking. He goes, yeah. I said, well, 
I became one. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was encountered uh, the r- reality of Jesus, who he is, and the historicity of his life, death, and resurrection. And that was a turning point for me. I'll tell you, my two buddies were so mad. They were so, you said you, you became a Christian? Did you say we hate Christians? I said, I know, I know, but not anymore. <laughs> it's like they were so mad at me, so mad at me. Uh, over time, we, 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 we made up. But uh, man, there was there. And so to follow Jesus, when you align your life to Jesus, not everybody's going to be happy. And it will cause divisions in the workplace, in the classroom. Speak to you younger folks here today, it will cause divisions in the classrooms. But there's also economic costs. I knew a guy a number of years ago. He was in construction, and he had all these opportunities. But one time, it was a big contract, a multi-multi-million dollar contract that he was invited to bid for, and he would have got it. But it was to build a building where not really great things took place within the building. And he says, I can't do it. As a follower of Jesus, as great as this contract sounds, I, I, I can't do it. And it cost him millions of dollars to say no. And that's the thing, to follow Jesus, and especially, I know for some of you, especially doing business overseas and different places, it's super difficult to be a faithful Christian and to do business in, in some parts of the world, and even in Canada. But there's a cost. And it also costs us not just our treasures, it costs us our idols. And what is an idol? An idol, like I doubt if anybody here is worshiping Artemis, but an idol is anything that we attach ultimate meaning to, right? That's, that's the key thing. So it could be a good thing. It could be family. It could be all sorts of things. But when something good becomes ultimate, that's when we run into trouble. And to let go of these idols is difficult. What are the idols of our age? What are the things that we find ultimate meaning in? Sports? Maybe not so much with the Canucks these days, but uh, <laughs> that's a broken idol. Um, sorry, sorry, I'm a Leaf fan. I understand suffering. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, it could be all sorts of things, right? The thing is, when you align your life to Jesus, when you turn your back on all the false gods of this world, uh, not everybody's going to be happy with it. And they may even look at you with suspicion and call you a hater of humanity. To go against the crowd is challenging, but as I've said before, only dead fish go with the flow. And Jesus calls us to walk the narrow way, which sounds good until you have to do it. But if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the truth, the life, and the way, if our lives only work insofar as they're connected to Jesus, if he really is who he, who he says he is, then where else are you going to go? Any other path will be a dead end or a blind alley. Any other path. So if he is who he says he is, where else are we going to go? And so to stand out, to say I am going to align my life with Jesus is always going to be difficult. Now, one of the ways we do that in our church is not just in terms of how we live our lives, but also through the waters of baptism. And this morning we have a number of people who are going to say to the seen and the unseen world 
that they belong to Jesus. They're going to make a, a huge statement about their identity and their mission. Their identity is saying, I am now intimately connected to Jesus. My identity is connected to Jesus. And so how I live my life and the decisions I make are going to be guided by him. And so we have three baptisms. And so I'm going to pray and then we'll just hear from those who are going to be baptized this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you recognizing that we are completely dependent upon you. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And our lives only work insofar as they're connected to you. But to stand out and to say this is not easy. And so we lift up each person who is being baptized today that you administer to and through them as they proclaim to the seen and the unseen world that they belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.